So as we continue in our series in Exodus, we are under the umbrella of this journey theme, this journey motif. We see that Israel is in the desert and on a journey being led by Moses and ultimately being led by God. And in our text today in the Bible, what we read was a telling of how the Israelites, the people of God, needed to learn how to trust God. The people of God needed to learn how to depend on God. And today, that is the same message for you and I, young or old, that we must learn in our journey here in this life to trust God, to follow God, and to depend on Him. If we think about what happened last week, we remember that the Israelites, even though it was just a short time from being freed from Egypt, they forgot so quickly. They forgot who God was and what God did for them. And they were so thirsty and they were complaining and they were hot. And they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here? Just so we can die? And we remember last week the Lord provided water. Not only providing water, but he led them to a place where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees for shade. Today, we see the Israelites once more complaining, grumbling. Now, they're not just thirsty, now they're hungry. So if we look here, I have a little map for us just to give us a little visual. We can see that uh, from Ramses up here, the Israelites traveled this feature never works properly, Lord help us. Well, you can see the top left that they started in Ramsey, went to Pithom, and then they crossed the Red Sea. And as they crossed the Red Sea, they saw God's mighty deeds. Right? Even in the land of Egypt, they saw the Passover, that all the plagues didn't harm them, that when the destroyer came to the land, they were protected, that when they were running from Pharaoh's army, that God split the sea. And then they continued as they were in Elam, and they were thirsty, but God led them to a place with a lot of water and a lot of shade. And then we're told here today that it's only been about two months, and now the people are hungry, they're complaining, and they forgot how God provides, how God loves, and how God takes care of his people. So let me ask you guys all, as we sit here, have we forgotten the goodness of the Lord? Have we forgotten how God provides for us? How God leads us and gives us everything we need? Israel is learning to depend, to trust in God during their time of wilderness. And we are called to do the same thing. We imagine that the people here, as they're in the wilderness, as they're in the desert, they're afraid. They're uncertain. They have many doubts. They're anxious. They feel alone, even though they're with all their people. They feel helpless. They feel angry. They feel a hungry hatred. They feel a bitterness of, why, God, did you bring us out here? And whether you're young and you're a student in elementary school or middle school or high school or college, whether you're in graduate school or you're in a job, 
We can all relate to this sometimes. When we cry out out of this, this anxiousness, this fear of, why God? Why God? Why am I here? What is happening? So as we look at today's word, I want us to remember that what is happening in the story of the Israelites is the same way our lives often unfold. Let me give us an example here. We see that the Israelites, as they left Egypt, they experienced the Passover, they crossed the Red Sea, and now they're in wilderness, and ultimately they'll get to the Promised Land. And we see that our lives parallel and follow the same pattern, that we are freed from sin, the slavery of sin, that we look to Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes the punishment for you and I, and how we live this life on earth now as wilderness people, hoping and waiting for that heavenly realm. So one thing I want us to remember today and keep in mind is that life is wilderness. Wilderness is life. Wilderness is not just a season that we endure when it's hard, but all of life is wilderness. Now, during wilderness, during our time in this life, on this earth, in this wilderness, we have times of intense heat, intense trials, intense struggles, and we also have seasons of rest and shade. But all of life is wilderness. And this is so obvious to state, but it's helpful to remember this because after a while, we forget that life is supposed to be hard. We forget that life is difficult. We think if we work hard enough, get a good job, raise the proper family in the right location, that this wilderness should be transformed into a paradise. For brothers and sisters, young and old, we must remember life here on earth is a journey. It's a wilderness. It's a time where God is teaching us to trust in him. John Bunyan knew this very well. And he's well known for this story that he wrote called The Pilgrim's Progress. And this is what John Bunyan says. Or this is what an editor says about John Bunyan's story. With all its temporary delights and momentary distractions, to Bunyan, the world was a wilderness. This is an allusion to the dismal wanderings of Israel in the Sinai Desert, where the soul became parched in the withering heat of unbelief. And we see this today, don't we? In the Israelites, in the heat, in the desert, they forget. You and I, in our wilderness, in the heat, in our thirst, in our hunger, we forget that God loves us, that he has a plan for us, and that he's leading us to a better place. So the three points I want to look at is remembering, grumbling, and testing. As we look at the text today in God's word, we see three things happening, a remembering, a grumbling, and a testing. First point, remembering. In Exodus 16.3, we are told that the Israelites are now all huddled together and they are thinking back to life as slaves in Egypt. And this is what they say to Moses and Aaron. They said, man, we're so hungry. 
I remember when we were slaves back in Egypt, how we ate from meat pots and how we had bread to the full. I remember we had steak every night. I remember that we had bread every morning. I don't remember being whipped, being punished, being spat on. I don't remember the hard times. No, what they recall is they remember eating meat. And they remember being filled with bread. This is crazy. This is untrue. What the Israelites are saying is, man, I remember when I was a slave, it was like, it was like dinner out at Fogo de Chao. Remember how good it was? People running around with a stick of meat. Sir, would you like some filet mignon? Okay, no problem. Sir, would you like some chicken wrapped in bacon? Is it wrapped in bacon? Of course. They thought in their memory that life was so much better as slaves. This sounds absurd. But when life is hard, oftentimes what we do is we look back at a difficult situation and we paint it better than it actually was. And sometimes we convince ourselves that although the past was worse, that it was better, that it tasted better, that it was more comfortable, that life was better as a slave than a son and daughter of God. And this is what the Israelites are doing. I remember when I was a child, I was driving in the car with my dad. My dad was driving, not me. I was a child, right? My dad is driving. And I remember, I don't know how old I was, but I remember this interaction. I'm sitting in the front seat. And I had recently learned this new Korean phrase that I was just using. If you know me, when I, when I learn a new vocab word or phrase, I just keep using it to practice. Well, I learned this phrase. Some of you might know it. In English, it means I am so hungry I could die. Now, you see me right now, I'm a pretty big guy. I was always a pretty big kid. And as a kid, I remember driving with my dad and I said, I'm so hungry I could die. And you know what my dad said? Sarcastically, he said, then die. I was like, geez, I'm just... It's just a, just a figure of speech, man. Relax. Gosh, I'm just trying to tell you I'm hungry. Can we stop by Burger King or something? Then die. You know, fathers can be very funny. I said, I'm so hungry I could die. Then die. Well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not literally going to die. I'm just trying to tell you I'm hungry. We see this is what the Israelites are doing to Moses. Moses, I'm so hungry I could die. In fact, I'm so hungry, I'm starting to think that you brought us out here so we could die, so you can starve us out. What's going on? And Moses is receiving all these grumblings, all these complaints, because the people are remembering a false time, a time that was very hard, but they're remembering in a different way, in a fake way. And so we see last week, if we saw the Israelites experiencing a spiritual amnesia, a spiritual forgetfulness. This week we see that that has progressed now into a spiritual Alzheimer's. That not only are they forgetting, they are remembering things inaccurately. And this is what happens when we're afraid, isn't it? This is what happens when we're anxious, when we're scared. When we have this deep hunger, not just for food, but in life. We get so scared, we get so anxious, we look back and say, it was better back then, God. What are you doing to me now? And we remember falsely. 
And so you know what I found out one of the best exercises to help us remember properly is? is to write out our testimony and to share with people our testimony. Our testimony is just basically a story about our life, how God saved us. When we, when we don't do that often, we forget. We start thinking back to our story and we start making things up. We start remembering God in a, in a, in a bad way. But if we spend time to think about our story, to think about how God saved us, we remember all the mighty deeds and all the faithfulness God has shown to you and I. Children, think about your parents. Think about how you are a gift to them and how God is using your parents to provide for you. That as you learn to depend on your mom and dad, you are also learning that you should depend on God in just the same way. You know, one of my favorite movies, I have a lot of favorite movies, so maybe it's just a figure of speech again. One of my favorite movies is The Notebook. And even thinking about this illustration, I started to tear up a little bit. In the movie Notebook, it's a story about two lovers, a poor boy and a rich girl. They fall in love, they have a romance, and then situations and time separates them. The rich girl starts to fall in love or get swept up by another man in the same family, in the same social economical background. And while the poor man gets lost in this love, and he's lonely. But as the movie progresses, we see at the end this old man reading stories out of this notebook to this old woman who's in bed. And he shares these stories to remind her of what happened. And we, as an audience who's watching this movie, we realize that all the while as this, we are watching this movie, as we, as we are hearing these stories, that it's, 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 it's this male character, this poor boy, reminding, oh, oh, <clears throat> reminding his sweet loved one of their relationship together because she has Alzheimer's. So towards the end of the movie, we see this lady unable to remember all the beautiful moments that they had together. And so the main character reads and reminds her. And he tells her their story of all the tough times, of all the beautiful moments, and all the things that led them to that place. And in small moments, she awakens from her Alzheimer's and she remembers their story together. We need to remember our story with our great love, Jesus Christ. We need to remember our story of how God has saved us. Because oftentimes we have a spiritual forgetfulness that leads us into a spiritual Alzheimer's. We start to see things differently. And so we need to hear the stories once more about how God saves his people, how God saved you and I. Children, you know, I want to give you a homework assignment. I know it's Sunday, there's no school, but for the children that are here, I want to ask you guys to do this homework. When you go home, ask your mom and dad, mom and dad, how did Jesus save you? Can you tell me your testimony? Can you tell me your stories on how God saved you? And parents, use that opportunity to share it. 
There is no greater testimony than when a child can see how their parents were saved. There's no better way for a child to see how their story will unfold when they can see how their parents has unfolded. And so we need to remember who God is. We need to remember who God is. Point two, we see a grumbling. What is happening here? We are told over and over that the Israelites are grumbling, that they are grumbling and grumbling and grumbling. Apologize, here we lost the slide. No need. Grumbling, grumbling, grumbling. Exodus 16.2. The whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses. Exodus 16.7. Because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord, for what are we that you grumble against us? Exodus 16.8. Because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Exodus 16.12, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. What are the Israelites doing? They're grumbling. What does God do? He hears them and he responds. Now I want to be careful here because a lot of times you and I find ourselves grumbling. And we know in our hearts before God that it's not just complaining, it's not just Hey, I'm hungry. Can we get some food? It's a, I'm so hungry I could die. Why did you bring me out here? There is a distinct type of complaining that says, God, you're a liar. You said you love me, you're going to take care of me, but I don't trust you anymore. That's what grumbling is. A doubtful complaining is, I'm not sure anymore, God. Help me understand. In either case, we need to come to God and ask him to help us understand better. But here we see the Israelites, they're not doubting. They're not saying, you know what, God? It's so hot out here, it's hard for me to remember. They're saying, God, they're shaking their fist at him. You brought us out here, you saved us, and now I feel like you're gonna kill us. There is a deep grumbling over and over and over again. But we see how the Lord responds. He says, I have heard your grumbling, Israel. And he says, at twilight you shall eat meat, at night you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. What is God doing? He is so graciously, like a father, listening to these grumblings, listening to these children who are complaining and ridiculing God and saying, you're not who you say you are. He listens to them and he says, you're dreaming about the meat pots and the bread that you'd never had before? I will give you meat and bread and fill you. He is in this ironic, funny way making their wish come true. He's listening to them and giving them what they want and giving them what they need. You know, a lot of times in the Old Testament, we think that God is an angry God, that he's just all about wrath and anger. But here, what happens when God's children grumble at him? Does he say, if you're so hungry you could die, then die? No. God, the good Father, says, I will give you food. I hear you. I know you're hungry, and I will give you food. 
You know, shamefully, when I look back, I remember so many times of grumbling in my own life. And I want to ask you guys, as we think about the Israelites grumbling, what are some areas in your life that you grumble over? And again, it's not just a complaint of, oh, what's going on? It's a God, why is my life the way it is? It's a God, you're not who you say you are. I don't trust you. Think about your moments of grumbling. One moment with season of grumbling, and I've shared this before with you, was in seminary when I had to cut the grass for many summers. And I remember thinking to God, why am I out here cutting grass? I'm trying to be a pastor, not a lawn care expert. Some of you guys, if you know how to use a weed whacker and you weed back racked before, it's this long stick and this little wire spinning really fast. And I don't know if I'm just not skilled, but no matter what I try to do, inevitably, no matter what, eventually, as I'm weed whacking, stones, twigs would flick up and hit me in the face and the shin, no matter what. And when you're in 100 degrees weather, when you're humid, and when you're a big guy like me and everything is rashing up, and you're just, the, the sound of the motor, just in your ear, I'm already, I'm already angry and I'm mowing the lawn and I'm weed whacking like this. And as soon as a twig or an acorn or a rock or a pebble comes and strikes me in the face, it feels like God did that to me. I know it sounds crazy, but in that moment where I'm thinking, God, why is this happening? As soon as that thing goes, I'm like, God! And I remember so many times, I hope my boss isn't listening to this, but I would throw the weed whacker down. I would throw it down, I would spit, and I would sit in the truck, and I would throw my hat up against the windshield, and I would sit there in utter silence, but so much anger and rage inside of me. I'm saying, God, why am I here cutting grass? I'm looking at my other friends. They're writing blogs for really important blog sites. They're teacher assistants for really well-known professors. They're at big churches, guaranteeing them a foot in the door in other big churches. And I'm thinking, I'm going home sunburnt, rashed, and smelling like gasoline every day. And I say, God, how could you possibly be preparing me for ministry? You know, if you look at my resume, it's probably the worst pastoral resume you could ever see. A cook at an Outback Steakhouse, a waiter at Perkins, I worked at 309 Car Wash, I was a barista at Starbucks, and I don't know what, what the committee thought initially when they saw my resume, <laughs> but I was a little bit ashamed. But I was like, you know what, this is, this is my work experience. And now that I look back, now that I remember, now that I think about my grumbling again, you know what I realized? I realized in all these jobs that I had, the Lord was teaching me how to serve people. As a cook at Outback, as a waiter at Perkins, drying and vacuuming cars, serving coffee in the morning, God was teaching me how to serve people. What about you guys in your workplaces? Oftentimes you find yourselves doing remedial things. Is it just that remedial thing that the Lord is trying to teach you? Or is he working on something in your heart? We see oftentimes when we grumble, the Lord answers in such a way where he wants to teach us a deeper lesson. So our last point, testing. We need to remember that as God answers our prayers and prepares us, 
that he is also testing us. We're told in Exodus 16, 4 through 5, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them. He says on each day for six days they'll gather what they need, but on the sixth day they will gather twice as much so that on the seventh day they can rest. Now God is providing them with what they need, but he is also testing them. God gave them meat at night and bread in the morning, and he is testing them to see what? How many of us enjoy exams and tests? None of us. Because often we think that tests are all about passing and failing. Tests are all about am I good enough or am I not good enough? But here the Lord tests his people And it's not about passing or failing, it's about growing. That's ultimately what a test should be, isn't it, students? Am I growing in my knowledge? Testing here, when God tests his people, it's not about passing or failing, it's about growing. God wants to see his people Trust in him. Grow in a trust in him. He wants to see his people not just receiving bread and filling their stomachs, but he wants his children to know that he gave them bread and meat because he loves them. And he wants his people to know that he is a good father that will provide, that no matter how hot it gets in the wilderness, no matter how long the road is, no matter how hungry and thirsty and tired and afraid and anxious and uncertain the world may feel like, he will provide for you what you need. God is testing them so that God can grow them. God is not some fickle child that says, if you do this, I'll love you. If you do this, then I'll be your friend. No, God is a good father that says, here is bread, here is meat. I love you, and I will continue to provide for you. Testing is something that many of us are probably going through right now in our wilderness. And I want us to shift our perspective on what that is that it's the Lord growing us. Let me give you a couple examples. In the movie Star Trek, the remake of The Wrath of Khan, there is a scene where young Captain Kirk takes an exam. It's called the, I love saying this, Kobayashi Maru. It's the Kobayashi Maru exam. It's the most scary exam to be a Starfleet captain. And this young, prideful, handsome, soon-to-be captain, takes his exam where everyone fails. It's known that this test is impossible. He walks into this exam so confidently. And during the exam, he finds a way to cheat and hack the system so that the program gets messed up and he can beat the simulation. And then after, the man who designed this test, Spock, comes up to him. And he said, you know, this test isn't just, it's not about passing or failing. And this young, prideful, soon-to-be captain says, well, I beat it. That's all he cared about. He thought that this Kobayashi Maru exam, the simulation, was just a pass or fail exam. 
But Spock explains the purpose of this exam is to experience fear. Fear in the face of certain death, to accept that fear and maintain control of oneself and one's crew. This is the quality expected in every Starfleet captain. What's happening, Spock is telling young Kirk, the point is not for you to pass and fail. The point is for you to grow and learn this one important lesson. If you're going to be a captain, you have to know how to handle fear. You have to know how to remain calm and, and control yourself and your crew. The Kobayashi Maru was not a pass-fail exam. It was an exam designed to teach. Let me give you another example. In the recent remake of Karate Kid with Jackie Chan and Jaden Smith, we see this classic scene. By the way, it's funny because it's called Karate Kid, but actually it's about kung fu. Anyways, there's this classic scene. Some, some people were really shocked. You didn't know that. I know. I found out this morning when I was re, uh, doing research. There's a scene, right, where the kid, he keeps taking his jacket off and tossing it on the ground. And his mother is trying to tell him, put your jacket up, hang your jacket up, right? And so when this young kid learns, goes to Jackie Chan to learn kung fu, Jackie Chan, his sensei, his master, notices this, and the first thing he teaches him is to hang up his jacket. And you know that, like, kung fu dummy? It's wooden, it's got all the arms, and everyone's like... Tch, 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 tch. And you learn how to do all that kung fu? Well, there's that thing. And for days and hours on end, what Jackie Chan tells this kid, his student to do, is to pick up his jacket, hang it up. Take his jacket, drop it. Pick up his jacket and hang it up, right? And then after he does that, he says, take your jacket off. Takes his jacket off. Put your jacket on. Puts his jacket on. Take your jacket off. Put your jacket on. Hang your jacket up. Put your jacket down. And this whole time, the only thing the student is doing is putting his jacket on, off, hanging it up, and throwing it down. And like anyone, he gets frustrated. And he looks at Jackie Chan's character and he says, you don't know any kung fu. You know why you don't have any students? Because you don't know what you're doing. Because for days, all I've been doing is taking my jacket off and throwing it down. And Jackie Chan looks at his student walking away. He's turned his back on him. And he goes, Chaldre, come here. And Jaden Smith is very scared. He walks over. And then this music starts playing, of course. And then he says, put your jacket on. And as he's putting his jacket on, Jackie Chan doesn't move. And he's able to block it. And he says, strong, this strong. And then we start to realize the whole time he was learning Kung Fu. That by putting his jacket on, taking his jacket off, putting it up, putting it down, he was learning how to block, hit, and do all these Kung Fu moves. And it wasn't until that moment where his student realized this whole time it wasn't about hanging my jacket up. This whole time it wasn't punishment. But these tests, these repetitions were to teach me a deeper lesson. Take your jacket, I'm just kidding. It's supposed to teach us a deeper lesson. 
Many of us, I'm sure, are experiencing a repetitive nature of examinations. And I want to encourage you guys that the point isn't about passing or failing. The point is so that you will learn to trust your captain, so that you will learn to trust your sensei, your master, that you will learn to trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. You know, parenting is one of the biggest tests for me, and I find it so ironic that as I teach my children in small ways how to be independent, God is teaching me as a parent how to be wholly dependent on him. Isn't that how it is, parents? Children, if we're telling you the truth, we have no idea what we're doing. We have no idea. And we're trusting in God to love you and to raise you. And so children, if you see your parents struggling, you see them angry or upset or scared, remind them. Say, Mom and Dad, are you trusting in God? Are you trusting in God? Let me conclude with this, that as we look at this manna story, that as we look at how God rained down bread from heaven, as how he provided for them, that even through the grumbling, that God teaches them. We see, as we've looked at many months ago, Jesus Christ himself saying this in John 6, 32. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to him, I am the bread of life. What Jesus is pointing out here after he feeds the 5,000, he's reminding the people that me feeding 5,000 people with bread and meat wasn't just so that I can fill your stomach. It was so that as your stomachs are filled, you remember and you know that Jesus is the true bread of life. Jesus reminds us that the Israelites in the wilderness ate bread that didn't last, but you and I in Jesus Christ has the, have the bread that gives us eternal life. Manna sustained the people for the day. Jesus sustains us for life. And so as we look at this story about how the people in their wilderness ate manna and trust God, brothers and sisters, mom and dads, children, I want to encourage you to look to Jesus to fill your daily needs, to pray and to confess that you need him every hour so that you would remember God's faithfulness to you through Jesus Christ, that you would remember in your grumbling how God through Jesus Christ provided the bread that gives us eternal life that you through Jesus Christ would see every testing moment as a good father teaching his children to obey and to grow and to be like Jesus. Let's pray 